Welcome to the Sunday Monday Show, a podcast about being bold in faith, work, and life. I'm your host, Jane Kennedy. Let's get down to business. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sunday Monday Show. Today I have my friend Erica Carnahan back on the podcast. If you missed her first appearance, it was episode nine, A Lent Well Spent. But today I have her back talking about something that has um, been a really common topic in our lives for the last few years, and that is body image and intuitive eating. So both Erica and I have had our own struggles with food and exercise and our bodies and we both are now intuitive eaters we've been intuitive eaters I think Erica for three or four years and then I've been on the train for about two and it's just been such a gift of joy and freedom so today we're talking a little bit about what is going on in our culture when it comes to body image what health and wellness looks like and the ways in which we've experienced incredible freedom from some yeah really harmful and hard things so we hope that you'll enjoy this again we are not registered dietitians we are not doctors we are not medically trained please do not use this as a substitute for actual medical advice but i think it's always helpful to hear people's stories so hopefully that will do that for you today and yeah know of our prayers know that we are so excited for you and enjoy Welcome back to the Sunday Monday. <laughs> I was waiting for the word to show. Oh shoot! I messed up. <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome. Should we start again? Yeah, start again. <laughs> okay. None of that happened. None of it happened. I was warming up. Um, Erica, welcome back to the Sunday Monday show. Thank you so much for having me back. I feel so honored to be a repeat guest. You're the first repeat guest. How does it feel? I just don't even know what I did to deserve this honor, but it feels really good. Well, the honor is all ours uh, because, first of all, you're a delight. You're one of my best friends, and I'm very (laughs) happy to have you here. Um, If you missed our first episode, which was about Lent, it was lovely. You can go back and check that out. Um, I should have looked up what number it is, but... You can scroll. There's not that many. <laughs> you can find her. Lazy um, podcaster alert. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You can go back and find her podcast somewhere <laughs> in the archive on Lent. But I knew that I wanted to have you back because you and I have a lot of conversations on something that I think is really juicy and there's no one else I'd rather talk about these things with. And so today we are diving into the messiness of body image, um, diet culture, and then intuitive eating, which is the lifestyle that both you and I um, moved into after pretty rocky relationships with food and exercise and our bodies. So thanks for being here and being open and vulnerable about talking on this topic. I know it's something that so many of us struggle with and yeah, you you inspire me. So I'm happy to have you here. Oh. Well, the feeling is mutual. You inspire me too. And you are actually quite an integral part of my body image intuitive eating journey. So I'm excited to talk about it with you too. Awesome. Well, for for some people who maybe are hearing some of these terms for the first time, can we set the scene? So let's let's take a look at our culture, take a step back. What is diet culture? How would you define that? Um, And why is it so hard to have a healthy body image? Or how would you even define a healthy body image? in in our world right now? Mm. Well, 
diet culture, if you're not familiar with the term, is essentially, well, it's kind of the culture that we're living in, um, but it is a culture that props up thinness and um, the physique of our bodies, you know, as kind of the highest ideal and almost as a virtue. And it sets that apart above even our health and well-being. Um, and I think the reason that it's so prevalent is because, well, there's a lot of reasons. <laughs> there's social media. That's an obvious one. Just the way that our, our culture has evolved and how it is now is that dieting is just normal. And I think that's made it especially hard to kind of push back against diet culture because it's become so ingrained in how many of us operate. So yeah, it's kind of, um, this is a very broad topic. So uh, it's probably, we're just going to be probably scratching the surface of a lot of these things today, but yeah, it's essentially just this, um, desire to lose weight that's driving a lot of our everyday actions that many of us are not even aware of before it becomes you know a full-fledged problem in our lives that we have to seek help for yes and i should have said this at the tippy top of the episode but (laughs) erica and i are not registered dietitians we're not nutritionists we are not doctors we have um, no medical training we are not here to um, solve the world's problems and fix diet culture but no. the reason we're doing this is because when I was going through my journey of healing, um, those things were all really helpful to me. But what I found the most relevant and encouraging were the stories that I heard from people who had conquered something that I thought was so unconquerable. Like I was spending 60, 70% of my time thinking about my body, thinking about food, thinking about exercise, and to hear stories from other people who had fought those same demons and, and, and turned out on the other side, so happy and so joyful. Um, and so content was, was really important to me. So just to clarify here, we are not providing medical advice. This is simply our stories and, and hopefully there's encouragement in this and, and at at least maybe starts a conversation. Um, if, if these are things that you haven't really talked about before. Yes. Important disclaimer. Thank you for remembering to do that. (laughs) I'll put the disclaimer at the top of the show notes, but yes, that's a disclaimer. So thank you for kind of painting out what what the diet culture looks like. I think right now, especially, it's even trickier because we're coming out of this quarantine time. And uh, I mean, already I live next to an Orange Theory and they're doing all these promos for, you know, losing the COVID-19. And, and it's just, uh. I think a lot of people, it's, we're coming out into the summer and we haven't seen people in a long time. And there can be a lot of insecurity around how we look. So especially now, I think being aware of diet culture and how prevalent it is. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty sad, honestly. Um, just how, how much it sells. I mean, it's a billion dollar industry of dieting and, um, workouts and weight loss. It's, it's, it's pretty sad. It is sad. Yeah, for sure. And I'm excited to have a nuanced conversation about it because I think that's something that's kind of missing from the conversation is, um, I think a lot of people are turned off when they hear, you know, talks or, or people talking about body image and, you know, it, it can be an eye roll because it's like, oh, I don't struggle with that. Or I don't like, I enjoy fitness and I enjoy health and I, and I, there's nothing wrong with wanting to pursue, you know, a body type or a goal that I have for my body in that way. And I think that there's probably some truth to that side of the story too. And so if that's you and you're listening, you're not excluded from the conversation. There's something for you here too. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So 
to back up just a little bit, would you mind sharing just your journey, your relationship with food and your body, um, kind of up until the point that you found intuitive eating and maybe what was that breaking point for you where you realized that this was not maybe a sustainable way for you to live the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. Well, I spent probably about five years with an eating disorder that went undiagnosed. And actually, like I didn't realize that I had it until probably year four into that eating disorder. And I think part of that, part of the reason why is because like I've already said, it's so normalized in our culture, just dieting and the behaviors that I was participating in to shrink the size of my body, like were so normal. So I didn't see anything wrong for four plus years starting in late high school. And it actually began kind of for me, I had a very innocent interest in health and fitness. Um, Like when YouTube was starting up, I watched all the, you know, health and fitness YouTubers and I was just really inspired by them. And I think that was a good, a good thing. Um, But just somewhere along the way, that interest kind of got twisted and distorted. And yeah, then like add on the pressures of college and I joined a sorority and I was surrounded by just all these beautiful women who were trying to make themselves even more, you know, quote unquote, beautiful by restricting what they ate and really just not eating very much at all. And I just kind of followed stride. I I got even sucked even deeper into the whole diet culture scene. And I never would have called it that at the time. I just, I just was doing pretty much what the people around me were doing in regards to food. Um, and like, I had always kind of identified my, my core identity was kind of with what I looked like. People always refer to me as I've always been very tall, you know? And so I was always the tall, skinny person and, and tall and skinny kind of became my core identifiers. And I really clung to those from a really early age because that's what other people referred to me as. I thought that was so central to who I was and I was really afraid to lose that. So yeah, as I went into college and like I said, was surrounded by all these beautiful people. I was just like so terrified of of losing this thing that was so central to my identity and that I had been praised for my whole life. Um, yeah, and, and so I think like my, where it kind of started going wrong for me, where this innocent interest kind of became not so great is it was compounding effects that were probably a combination of external and internal. I had the external of like actually wanting to change what my body looked like because I thought that was better for some reason because society or whatever told me that it was. And um, then I had like the internal kind of reasons that were more motivated by just like stress and pressure and, and wanting a sense of control in my life. So for me, it was twofold. And I know for a lot of other people, it's usually, it can be one or the other can be a combination of the two, but long story short, my relationship with food was totally jacked up. Like it was just not, it was just not good. And over the course of the years watching all these YouTubers and reading all these blog articles about um, different diets and, and different things that people ate, I just started to accumulate all these different food rules in my head. Like I just had this litany of food rules cemented in my brain and they would just kind of plague me every time I sat down to eat. And it got to the point where I just was restricting so many different things because I was trying to follow all these different rules that I had picked up over the years. And so it got to the point where I just wasn't 
eating very much like quantity wise. And I was very obsessed with the purity of my food. And I, yeah, I just didn't want to eat anything that was going to be quote unquote bad for me. And a lot of this stuff was very ascientific. Like it was just what other, what I saw other people doing, but I think it was just, I was very impressionable at that age. And um, yeah, I ultimately just wanted like to look good, like to be attractive. Um, Yeah. So on my way to intuitive eating. So I think that, oh yeah, I went to Italy so I, I come from, I'm having all these food rules. Oh, by the way, I think this is important to mention too, because I know a lot of people do this. I was tracking every food that I ate in an app called my fitness pal. I don't know if that's still a thing because I don't use it anymore, <laughs> but um, I know Jane, you were too. And I just, you got to the point, yeah, I could tell you the, ca- the calorie count of pretty much anything that you put in front of me because I was so obsessed with tracking my calories and not just tracking them, but obviously limiting them and restricting them. And it became like a game to me, like to see, oh, can I get my macros like perfectly this percentage? And can I reach this um, low calorie number for the day or whatever? And if I didn't, I would also go to the gym and exercise for like hours, like hours and hours. I'd wake up at 5 a.m. in college and go for like two hours to the gym every single day to try and get that calorie count on my fitness pal down. <laughs> um, and eventually, you know, this was really catching up to me, but I got a brief respite from all this craziness that was going on in my brain. When I went to Italy, I studied abroad there for four months, my junior year, and it was bliss. Like I just didn't, I never counted a calorie when I was Italy in Italy, when I was Italy. <laughs> and it was just so freeing, like to be, I got to experience what it was like for a moment to not care, like to not, to care more about how something tasted and the pleasure of eating a food rather than, oh, what is this going to do to my body later? And, you know, oh, I'm going to have to work this off by exercising for X amount of time. So that was just so nice. And I had kind of just made that deal with myself when I went abroad. Like I'm, I'm going to enjoy this experience to the fullest. I'm not going to let food stand in the way, stand in the way of that. Unfortunately, when I came back from Italy, uh, back to good old Santa Barbara, I was not able to sustain that level of freedom. And I got wrapped up again in the whole diet culture thing. Um, And I had done some research leading up to that point about veganism. And the, the lifestyle was very attractive to me for different reasons. But at the time, like looking back, I can say that my intentions in going vegan were not 100% pure. Um. And the main driving force in my decision to go vegan back then was to lose weight, (laughs) to lose the weight that I had gained when I was in Italy. So I decided to become 100% cold turkey, vegan, didn't eat any more animal products. The thing when you're vegan is that plant foods are a lot less calorie dense than animal products. And so I was, you're supposed to eat a lot more volume of food, a higher volume of food when you're, when you're plant-based than when you're not. And this was a problem for me because I was living in a sorority house and I'm sure nobody really cared or paid any mind to this. But in my mind, I was like under a microscope. And if I ate more food than the person that's sitting next to me, then like I was going to be judged. But really, I was just judging myself for doing that. Um, And so I just didn't like I just didn't eat enough. And after about a year of being vegan, I got to the point where I was just exhausted. Like I just wasn't eating enough food. I wasn't nourishing my body right. And 
I was trying to sustain the same level of fitness in the gym and I just was not able to, like, I was just tired constantly. It was hard to do schoolwork, just fatigue, fatigue, fatigue. I just could not function. And that surprisingly enough was not even what triggered me (laughs) to seek help. It wasn't even the physical discomfort or just like the inability to cope that pushed me to eventually seek help. What it was, was that I was leading a Bible study in our sorority and I don't think you were there, Jane. I think you were probably in DC. I don't think it was. No. Yeah. For some reason, I have like put you in this memory, but I don't think you were actually there. (laughs) I could be there. (laughs) Yeah. But um, our other missionary friend, she was missionary at the time there, Ellie, was at this Bible study with me that I was leading in our sorority house. And we had been going through this uh, Bible study about, it was catered to sorority people. And this particular week was about image. And so I had prepared the Bible study. I like led our group of women through the Bible study talking about, you know, I don't remember the the specifics of even what was in the study, but it was about image. And I remember everyone kind of shuffled out of the room at the end of our Bible study. And Ellie was still with me, I think. And I just remember having this like sudden, it was like I just woke up all of a sudden to the reality of what I was doing and to the reality of my life. And I remember saying to to Ellie, I just, I think I need help with this. Like, I think this is a problem for me. And it was, yeah, it was the first time that I had ever brought that kind of into my own conscious awareness that what I had just been doing on autopilot for four or five years was actually not serving me in any way. It was actually doing the opposite. And yeah, it just, it was like I all of a sudden was able to see, just like you said, Jane, at the beginning of this, I was spending 80%, if not more, of my waking hours thinking about what my body looked like, gonna change that, the food I was going to eat, the exercises I was going to do to, you know, burn off the calories I was eating. And I just knew like that's not how I wanted to live. And I knew that God wanted more for me than that. Um so but I just really didn't know what to do. And I do think it was you though who told me, Jane, about you had seen the nutritionist at our school for some allergies that you were having. Mm-hmm. And I remember your face swelling up from eating a peanut yeah. or something and having to take <laughs> you to the emergency room. But um, so you had told me about the nutritionist and you said that she was really nice. So I went to see our on-campus nutritionist and I was going to her every two weeks for a couple of months. And I had explained, you know, I'm really low energy. And I actually didn't say anything about the mental toll that um, this disordered eating stuff was taking on me because I wouldn't have even labeled it as disordered eating then. But I just basically told her, you know, I'm having really low energy and I don't know how to solve it. That's why I went to her. And so she actually had me record what I was eating and I would I would come into our sessions and show her what I was eating. And she helped identify, wow, you are eating way too little. You were eating half the amount of calories that you're supposed to for your height and your um, body size. And that's not sustainable. So she was creating meal plans for me to help me try and get my weight back up and ultimately there's a kind of a limit, I think, when you're a nutritionist who doesn't specialize, you know, in eating disorders, there's kind of a limit to what they can do for you. So she referred me to a couple therapists. And I'm, unfortunately, the traditional therapy, just at least with the therapists that I saw, just didn't end up really working for me. They just didn't feel like the therapists I saw were very well equipped to deal with eating disorder issues 
And ultimately, I kind of just went on this whole, like my own journey with the internet, trying to solve my problems. And that is how I came across intuitive eating. So, and actually, again, Jane, I think you were the one who told me about um, a podcast. It was the first podcast that I ever really listened to consistently. And it was called Food Psych by Christy Harrison. And it's still, I'm sure, out there. She's probably still making episodes. I don't listen to that anymore because I ended up not really like agreeing with a lot of the stuff that she says. Um, but a lot of, there's like a lot of good truth to the the things she says. And, and she did get me on the right track when it came to um, solving my food problems and fixing my relationship with food. So I learned about intuitive eating from that podcast and I ended up buying and reading the book Intuitive Eating by um, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. And it just, I know some people don't like this term, but it changed my life. <laughs> this book totally changed my life. Um, and I eventually, yeah, went down this whole e intuitive eating journey and I have never looked back to dieting. Never, never. Long story, but that is it, people. <laughs> mm. It's so good. And what's funny is that when I hear you tell the story, I remember kind of being in and out of it at different points because I think, so when I was going to see that nutritionist, you're right, I had these random allergies pop up out of nowhere. And I actually attribute the development of those allergies, which I still am suffering with, to the way that I treated my body and the foods that I limited um, because my body was under such stress and that ultimately can apparently change your hormones and change allergies. So <laughs> it has physical <laughs> ramifications that continue to affect me five, six years later. Um, but yeah, it's funny because when you, I want to dive a little bit more into what intuitive eating is, but I remember my first impression of it from that food psych podcast and from, from you and what you were trying to do with it was you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Um, you don't have to exercise. You can do, you know, it's just all about listening to your body, like woo woo. <laughs> and at the time I thought that is absolutely so ridiculous because right around the time that you were starting to heal, I was gearing up for my second try at Miss California, which included a swimsuit competition. So while Erica is taking beautiful beach walks and like enjoying food, I'm living on quest bars and like exercising hours and hours a day for this competition. And I remember thinking like, well, that's nice. Um, if I could eat whatever I wanted, if I didn't have to exercise, all I would eat would be tortilla chips, french fries, and ice cream because that's all I want. That's all I think about all day is how I can exercise enough to have ice cream once this week. Like it just, the whole idea of it was so beyond belief for me because I believed that I had no self-control. I believed that it was something wrong with me um, and that I had to control my body in this way in order to achieve this like life that was promised to me if you're you know small in a small body and and beautiful and accepted by society because of how you look um I mean one last story before we dive into actually what intuitive eating is I remember we <laughs> went to this wedding together and this must have been this was like I was getting close to the breaking point this was probably 2018 and you were very nicely healed at this point we go to this wedding I don't know if you'll remember <laughs> this but it uh we ordered room service and I think I ordered a bowl of it was either, I think it was a bowl of salad. So it was like a bowl of like with no dressing, like all crazy because I was, you know, really 
intense about whatever I was training for. And you ordered a bowl of French fries and they came to our, t- our room and they <laughs> gave us this food. I eat my like green crunchy water and you ate these French fries <laughs> and the, the wedding happened and we didn't eat for like nine more hours. And I was going to die in that wherever we were. <laughs> I don't remember if it was the church or the ballroom. I just thought I was going to die because I was so hungry. And here you were just like totally happy and content because you actually ate something that like gave you <laughs> sustenance. Um, and I remember that. And then I remember the next morning, this is after a wedding, right? The next morning I was like up at seven running to the gym so that I could like squeeze in a workout before our flights and you and our other friend who we were staying with, like you all were just enjoying the morning and you were sleeping in. And I remember in my head, this is, this is, this is like where we're going to talk about like where our faith plays into this too, because my reaction to those two right now I look at that and I feel like so sad for myself I feel so sad that I felt like I couldn't actually eat something real I feel so sad that I had to drag myself out of bed but I feel more sad for the way that I felt about like oh well you know Erica's being ridiculous I can't believe she's eating all that and (laughs) leaving the room with such a sense of superiority like well I'm the one who's exercising I'm the one who cares about my body and like just what is that doing to our souls, right? Like what was that doing to my soul to be in a place where I felt like it just makes me so frustrated to think about the lie that we're being told that we are, that there's a moral value to this food and this exercise. And I could go on about this forever. I think both of us could. (laughs) Oh, well, so everything you just said was so, so good. And, you know, we also, I can't even imagine, I mean, you come from a pageant world where you, like you said, have to be on stage in a bikini you know and or you had to and I just can't even imagine like the pressure that that puts on someone so I think you do have to cut yourself some slack in terms of why your mind was the way that it was you know when you're preparing for a competition like that because yeah of course like you want to look your best and and you it consumes you of course of course so I think there has to be a lot of compassion there but yeah. To, so to answer like kind of the question of what is intuitive eating, first of all, it's um, I, I do exercise now. I don't only eat French fries. <laughs> I, I think that intuitive eating has given me such a balanced view of food, exercise, all things in my body. And that is why I'm so crazy about it. And really, like I had a lot of the same fears that you just mentioned you had, Jane, about, you know, if I eat just whatever I want all the time like I'm like you I'm just going to be eating I don't know for for me it would be chocolate probably and like you said chips french fries you know just not foods that are good for me you know and when I say good I don't mean morally good I just mean of a higher nutritional value than, than other foods so yeah as you can see like intuitive eating has very much unwrapped this moral aspect from the the foods that I eat because food is morally neutral like food sure there are some foods that are better for your body and some that are I don't even want to say worse just not as nutritionally good for you um and it's not about like denying that it's not about denying the science of that it's just about um not attributing a moral value to yourself or to those foods yeah or to yourself when you eat them so Essentially, yeah, it is listening to your body. It is throwing away all those that litany of diet rules that you've picked up over time. And instead of, I know this is a radical idea, but instead of listening to 
a blog or a YouTube or a diet plan that's out there. It's instead learning to listen to your biological cues and the things that are going on inside of you. So it's switching that um, your the directive from an external source to an internal one. And you know, God made our bodies so good. Like we have the ability to tell when we're hungry. Um, our bodies tell us what they need. And if you just like, what really helped me get over this idea of like, oh, I'm gonna be a million pounds if I if I let myself eat whatever I want and if I don't if I give myself a break from exercising. Trust me when I say I was like deathly afraid of even taking the first step into doing that. But what kind of helped me get over those fears was number one, reading that book and digging into the science of what actually is true about our bodies and what actually is true about the way that we eat. Because most people don't know that like you're actually putting yourself at a greater health risk when you're going on these yo-yo diets, when when your weight is fluctuating up and down, up and down, up and down. There's like a greater morbid, sorry, yeah, it's more likely that you will die. (laughs) I'm not going to use big words that I don't, that I'm not confident in on this podcast. Come on. Um, So yeah, you have a greater (laughs) risk of dying if your weight is fluctuating up and down, up and down than it is if it just stays higher than your set point. Most people don't know that. Um, And also like there's studies done on children that show if you give children free reign and free choice about, about what they're eating, Um, studies have shown that they may not get their full, you know, adequate nutrition in the, in a 24 hour span, but over the course of a week, if you extend that period, they, they get everything they need when kids have their full, um, autonomy or choice over what they're eating. And so intuitive eating is really about getting back to that place of, you know, when you're a kid, you don't need a diet book. Like you don't need anything to tell you what to eat. You eat freely. You don't think about how it's going to affect your body. You're just, you're free. And that's really what intuitive eating is about is getting back to a place of freedom with food. And it is so good. (laughs) It is so good. You should try it. (laughs) It is so good. And, uh, yeah, I think it's good to talk about the fears because there were, I had a lot of fears. Um, but I ultimately came to my breaking point, um, about two and a half years, I think after I watched you go through it. And I think my mindset or, yeah, my perception of you was she's crazy to, <laughs> oh my gosh, I cannot do this anymore. Because like you said, right, I, so that 2017 year, it was really easy for me to lose a lot of weight and make my body look how I wanted it to look. But then as soon as Miss California ended, I went back to kind of eating sort of what I wanted. I knew I was going to compete again, hopefully. And so I wasn't really going wild, but I, I gave myself a bit more freedom. So then when it came time to get back on board with my nutritionist and my trainer, it was it was a little bit harder for me to lean my body out. And I didn't really know what I was doing wrong. I mean, it had been so easy the last time. And the same thing happened in my 2019 year. Thank goodness they cut the swimsuit competition, but still, right, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to look a certain way. And I was having weekly calls with my trainer and my nutritionist and I was just sobbing on the phone because my body wasn't changing and I was restricting more and more and more and exercising more and more and more. And I was at my breaking point where they were basically asking me like, what are you doing? What are you hiding? Like there has to be something that you're eating that you're not telling us about because you are, your body shouldn't be responding this way. But reading that book, 
I cried when I got to that chapter because I was like, yeah, my body thought I was starving. It thought I was going to die. And so it was holding on to food because it said, oh, we've seen this before. Like we know what happens when she stops eating. It means that she's not going to feed us for six months or whatever. And yeah, that was my breaking point. I realized like, first of all, I hate this. Second of all, it's um, Christy Harrison in that podcast that you referred to, Food Psych. She calls diets the life thief because it was the life mm-hmm. thief. What I wanted, what I was fighting for, right, was acceptance and love and friendship. And in order to get it, I was missing dinners, missing happy hours because I didn't have enough calories to spend. I was leaving <laughs> friends' houses early so I could make it to 6 a.m. workouts. Um, I was so focused on myself that I was unable to love people well and um, leave the rigidity of what I like planned for my life. And so, you know, I was being promised this kind of bill of goods that my life would be better and people would like me. And, you know, I would get all these things that I wanted, but the reality was that I was really sad and it was never enough and I never had lost enough. And so, um, that was when I hit my breaking point after that last pageant, I was like, I'm done. And thankfully, I made a big move and I think making a transition in life can make a huge impact in this. So I moved from San Francisco to DC and on that flight, I deleted my fitness pal. Um, and I found myself in a new city with new people. It was easier for me to break some habits. I know a lot of people are like going back to the office or, you know, things are changing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a transition can be really helpful. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it was probably the hardest four months of my life to date. Um, because every time I tried to give myself permission to eat something that was, you know, quote unquote bad, I, I would immediately feel this guilt and this need to go run it off. And I actually had to stop running for about eight months because running was so deeply tied to earning food or burning off food I'd eaten the day before. And so now I love to run again, but I really had to do a lot of work to unknot that, um, connection between the two things but yeah those four months were really freaking hard and you know I would put clothes on and they would fit differently um I would go into dressing rooms and try things on and I just you know would cry and I'd want to fix it I would oh my gosh me too I would cry in Nordstrom Rack I would cry it it was it's so hard and like you like taking a break from something that you love doing like running you know that is hard like you can acknowledge that like I was obsessed with going to the gym, obsessed. And I had to, like you said, go on beach walks instead. I was like, I'm just going to only walk. I'm only going to do that for however long it takes. Like, I'm just going to only walk. And my roommates would tease me and call me a grandma. I mean, it was funny. <laughs> I thought it was funny. But, you know, like, that's what I needed. And, and yeah, I just think it's so, it's really an act of bravery to put aside something you know is harming you, no matter how much you enjoy it. Just yeah, just for the sake of your own mental health and for your relationship with God and just for your life. I think that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. And it it is hard. I think that like we obviously have opened with this and we'll close with how good this is and how, I mean, my life is, I cannot, I cannot quantify how much better my life is now that I am free from that. And like, I have tough body image days. I had one this week and had to call Erica and she gave me great <laughs> advice, which I'll have her repeat at the end of this. But I just, I hope I remember like, it. Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, um, I'll cue you if you forget because it was so good, but, um, but it is really hard and it's really hard because for so many of us, another podcast I love is called, it's not about the food. And the whole idea of that is that oftentimes like Erica, you know, said earlier, it's not about the food. Like, exercise and controlling 
what you're eating is a coping mechanism for, you know, feeling out of control, feeling frustrated, feeling like you don't have something you want. Um, And so all of a sudden when I couldn't just run off my frustrations or when I felt like I had a bad day at work and I couldn't look at my fitness pal and be like, oh, but it's okay because I came in under my calories. Like I had to find a new way to cope and new ways to deal with things. And I, frankly, I went about it on my own for about four months before I finally decided I needed to go to therapy because I felt like the whole process was unearthing a lot of things that I just needed to talk out. And that was really helpful for me. I know some people are able to make it through the process um, without that, but I really needed it. And I'm really grateful I did take those steps. But, um, but yeah, it's really, really hard. And I think noticing that um, is important. But the other thing is that every time things, things got too hard for me, I remembered that I had two main reasons for doing this um, that I had to come back to. And the first one was that, I mean, TMI here, but if you don't eat enough food, you can lose your cycle. And I really not want... Not TMI, not TMI at all. I mean, not TMI. Talk about that. I think yeah. everyone knows. If you don't eat enough and you're exercising too much um, and you lose, <clears throat> I think it's if you lose too much fat, right? Then you yeah. you lose your you lose your cycle. And so over the course of this, this six years of just this fight, I had lost my cycle multiple times. And I knew Same. that... Yeah. Gosh, it happens to so many of us. Um, so many of my friends who've struggled with this have had this issue. And I knew that my goal is that I want to have kids. Like I would love, to, I want to be a mother. And if I keep losing my cycle, I'm going to affect my fertility, which is no bueno and not what I want. And so that was one of the, one of the things was, okay, like if I want kids, I need to stop messing with this. And the second was also related to children. So clearly you can tell this is something I like in <laughs> my life. Ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, it's, it's thinking about, um, like how I want to raise my kids and you know kids see their parents and they see their parents on diets and they see their parents braiding their bodies and they see their parents you know parents can make comments I think unknowingly to their kids that can be really harmful and I don't want to do that like I want my kids like you were you alluded to that study earlier like I want my kids to grow up feeling free to eat food loving movement loving to be active, enjoying ice cream, enjoying vegetables. Like that's the kind of home I want to cultivate, but I can't just show up and do that when I have kids. Like I have to, you know, untangle a lot of years of, of, of junk to be in that place. So that really helped me, kept me going the whole way through was thinking like, okay, I need to do this like for this future goal. So if you can find something that will drive you forward, that is helpful when it gets harder. I don't know if you had things that that you came back to, Erica. Yeah, I mean, mine were similar to yours. The kid thing, by the way, like we're not wanting to pass this particular advice on to your children is very, it's especially motivating. And there is a chapter, I know we're talking about this book a lot, but intuitive eating also has a chapter about raising intuitive eaters, which I think is so helpful for any parent or for anyone who aspires to be a parent. Um, for me, yeah, I think looking back, actually, as you were talking, I do, I do think something similar was happening to my body where I just <laughs> another motivation for me to go see a nutritionist was I was exercising like normal doing all the right quote-unquote right things and I was not losing weight and I was and I was heavier than I thought I should be so while that's not fun to admit like ultimately it got me to the point where I was able to kind of see that the behaviors I had been putting my body through were actually not helpful. Like they were, they were actually working against me. And, and I mean, everyone's body is different and you can, 
a lot of people can get away with dieting for a long time without it catching up to them. But for me, that was not the case. And it's just not good for you. It's not good for your psyche. But yeah, so I, I think not being able to lose weight and, and just like you was kind of a driving force for me. The children think too. And um, thank God for, for those problems because if I had just continued dieting, like you, I've just found so much freedom um, on the other side of all of this. And so I just can't even imagine what my life would be like if I was still stuck in that. And I feel, I really feel for people who are, who are still going through um, their own struggles with their bodies and with food. And that's really my motivation to, to keep talking about it with people like you and with friends. Mm. And yeah. we should also, that's another thing is we should normalize talking about this sort of thing with our friends. I know it can be like so uncomfortable as women to talk about um, like when you notice a friend really fixating on her body or, and, it, and this is, and by the way, I'm saying her, but like, obviously this is not an, a struggle that's exclusive to women. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just claim we're done. But yeah, like I, I think that, and I don't fault any of my friends while I was going through this for not bringing it up, but I just think friendship is such a powerful thing in the midst of these types of struggles because people, your friends who are closest to you can see your blind spots. Like they can see what you're going through and they can see how it's affecting you. And um, I know that those conversations are really difficult to have, but just check in with your friends. If you, if you notice that they're, they have a fixation, whether it's about this or something else, like, yeah, check in with them. And I think another thing is, is just refraining from commenting on people's bodies. I think it's so hard. Yeah. It's so dang hard. But I mean, I've seen a few friends in the past month or so that like have looked different than they did when I saw them before. Um, Mm -hmm. And in all of those instances, there was this kind of space in the conversation for me to make a comment on it like they either said something disparaging about their bodies or they brought up how people were commenting that you know they had been losing too much weight or something and I just in knowing how much people's words meant to me in that time of my life I just refrain from from really making comments about like oh you look so good or um or if people are beating up their bodies I just remind them of the truth of like you're beautiful and I just, yeah, I, I just think it's very easy in our culture to, to jump into the, oh my gosh, you look so good, but you have no idea what that person went through to look however they're looking. Um, yeah, and that actually kept me on, that's those even positive comments about my body kept me on the diet train for much longer than I needed to be because I would, as crazy as it sounds, I would notice when people did not comment like Mm -hmm. if if I had seen if I for instance if I went to see relatives that I hadn't seen in a really long time I had certain relatives that would without fail oh my goodness like look so skinny you look so good blah 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 and then there were times when I would go and visit them and they wouldn't and so I would think they wouldn't say that and I would think that oh my goodness like I must I have to try harder something's wrong with me Mm -hmm. so yeah you never really know like what those comments how those comments are affecting people and I mean, it's not to say that we shouldn't compliment each other and, and, you know, it it can be really hard to think of other things to say sometimes when you are trying to like be nice to someone and you haven't seen them in a while, but there are other things. That's a fun challenge. Mm -hmm. 
yeah and getting getting used to practicing those things is, is really helpful um I think people have now at this point given up on trying to get <laughs> much from me because they know I'll just jump on my soapbox real quick and be like look your body needs food and oh and I think another uh, again if we haven't said it enough go read intuitive eating because there's so many there's 10 principles of it we are missing a lot of them but the ultimate reality of it is that once you're able to unbundle all the junk and listen to your body and eat in a way that is satisfying to you like I remember I would sit in my kitchen at like midnight and cook up these ridiculous concoctions of like quote-unquote cookies right and it would be like one egg white and like (laughs) half a tablespoon of coconut oil and oats and like cacao and I would make these ridiculous cookies when all I wanted was a cookie and if I had just gone and eaten a cookie I wouldn't have had the seven pseudo cookies that ultimately (laughs) just left me craving my dang cookie um and once you give yourself the freedom to eat those things they lose a lot of their sparkle like I remember when I lived in DC before I was really in the throes of this and I would do sweets Sundays so every Sunday I would like walk over to one of the cupcake shops in Georgetown and get myself a big cupcake and sit and eat it and it was like the the best moment of my week because I got to have this sweet thing and now that I live here three blocks from these cupcake shops do you know how many cupcakes I've gotten since I moved here two years ago Erica how many one I've gotten one cupcake because I don't really like them that much like I don't love the cupcakes and so that's another thing is your tastes just change when you give yourself the freedom to eat when they're not off limits anymore when things aren't off limits like I used to go to people's parties and things and I would make all these rules about how I couldn't eat stuff or I'd eat like full meals before I went anywhere because I couldn't eat whatever was there and like it's just hilarious now I'll go places and I won't even notice that I didn't get anything to eat like just the freedom of it is so good. I, I can't, I can't um, describe it enough. And I think you talked about this a little bit before, but like we all have a set point weight. So our bodies are designed at a set point weight and like you can fluctuate around that set point weight, but your body will find its way there. And so mm-hmm. I think just having that trust um, that it will find its way there and that, and also recognizing that there are going to be really hard days. Like there are going to be hard moments where like you see a picture of yourself you don't like or someone says something or you put on clothes that you know used to fit you in a different way and they fit differently like there are a lot of hard things um and hard moments but I think ultimately always coming back to like the fact that you are created beautiful and that I mean I keep a list of all the things in my life that are better now that I don't diet and I'll go back and look at that list often that's awesome because I'm like oh yeah well remember when I like uh, couldn't go anywhere after 10 o'clock because I had to go to bed so I could be up at this time. And like, <laughs> remember when I didn't have any friends because I didn't go anywhere? Like, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just exhausting. But, um, you know, you're so good at this, Erica. What encouragement do you have for someone who is just struggling with their body image right now? Maybe they're listening to this and they're like, this is me. I'm stuck here, but I'm afraid to just let it go. Like, what encouragement do you have for them? Oh, well, first of all, I feel ya. Because, I mean, I've been there. And like Jane said, there are times, you know, where we still find ourselves back there. It's not like, I'm healed and everything is perfect now. Like, that's, I hope you're not getting that from this. But to someone who's struggling with their body image, the first thing I would say is just recognize and believe that freedom is possible for you. And, you know, maybe take some time to think about what it is that you're sacrificing by staying so stuck to 
um, your rules and your restrictions. That's my first thing that I would say. Um, because I think if you can tie your motivation to get healed from this, it's much easier when you have a really strong why of, of why you want to be free. And going back to that, like maybe take a look and examine at what has gotten you here in the first place. Why is the reason that you diet? Why is the reason that you restrict your calories? And just like dig really deep into that. Like typically those those things don't have a very pleasant root. <laughs> uh, we, you know, we weren't born wanting to, with a desire placed in our heads that we should be smaller, that we should constantly be shrinking. So yeah, I would say connect with your why, um, why it is that you want to lose weight and what's your motivation to get free from that kind of trap. And yeah, then I would say probably <laughs> read intuitive eating. It's so good. Um, and I know that, I think we've talked about this a lot now, but taking the first steps in, into intuitive eating can be scary because you don't, you have to really abandon this um, desire that you've probably been clinging to for a while, which is you have to be okay with whatever weight your body kind of ends up at and, and what kind of stages your body goes through as it's kind of recalibrating and your metabolism is healing and you start to have a better relationship with food because a lot of, that's just the reality. Like a lot of, I mean, it affects everybody differently. Everybody's body is different, but you have to just kind of release the need to control what your body is looking like for a period. And ultimately, like if you can relinquish, the more you can relinquish that, I think the better you're going to fare as you try out intuitive eating and as you um, kind of endeavor to repair your relationship with food. I think this is a super nuanced conversation though. And I, I, I realize that I don't think it's, I used to have very different views when I first came to intuitive eating about, I just felt very strongly that any effort to lose weight was terrible. And why are you doing that? And you shouldn't care at all about what you look like. And I think that over time I've kind of softened a little bit and I realized, you know, okay, like I, I have a preference for what my body looks like in a certain, I would like my body to look a certain way. I think it looks better. I'm just being completely honest here. And I actually haven't really talked about this with people to this degree, but yeah, to be honest, I do have a preference for um, what my body looks like. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I, I prefer for my body to look a certain way is what I'm trying to say, but I will never again, let that preference turn into an obsession that dictates the rest of my life. I will never, ever, ever let that happen again. <laughs> and I think some people are very blessed and they don't. Now I understand this. Some people are blessed and don't have this um, desire consume them. Like they can keep it in its proper place and it's just a preference that they have. But for me and for I think so many of us, that's not the reality. So yeah, those are kind of, I hope that wasn't too messy. I hope that you got something good from listening to my rambling. <laughs> no I and it's true like I think you we have to lead with honesty um when it comes to this conversation because yeah I just I just think it's really hard and I think it also has so much to do with the the people we're surrounded by because you can be surrounded by people who talk about their body and food in just like a derogatory way all the time 
and that can get really exhausting. And so I think that's another thing is like, just check, check if your body image is struggling, just think about what you're talking about and who you're talking about it with. Um, Yes. And the things, that's a really good point, Jane. Also like just the things in your environment, for instance, I used to weigh myself every week and now I haven't weighed myself in over two years. You know, if you have a scale that the number on the scale dictates how you feel about yourself that day, it tells you, oh, I can be happy or I can be sad today, or this means I have to work harder, or this means I can ease up, like get rid of it. Just get rid of the scale. Mm -hmm. You don't need it. Yeah. That's when, um, the big move was in January. So this, my whole thing, uh, the healing kind of started, it started in September of 2019. And in January of 2020, I took off my Apple watch and I have not put it on since. And the reason why was because the circles that fill up, first of all, I think the Apple watch works very well for some people. I think it reminds people they need to get up. They need to be active. They need to do their standpoints. I, you know, I think it works in some sense, but for me, it was a lot of pressure and I felt like if I didn't finish, if I didn't, if I didn't close my circles that I had failed the day and, um, I took it off just kind of as an experiment of like, I wonder what this will do for me. And man, it, it was a monumental shift because all of a sudden it wasn't there. And let me also say that like on this end of intuitive eating, I work out almost every day. I love to run. Um, I love to do yoga. My body is so much stronger because it actually has fuel. Um, I probably eat honestly better than I did when I was on this cycle because I don't binge out on stuff. I can enjoy food. There are days I can go without having a sweet, which used to sound impossible to me. Um, I'm able to enjoy things in moderation. Like I just my life the quality of my life is so much better. And I think the fear I had that all I would do is eat ice cream was completely unfounded because our bodies need nutrition. Our bodies need to move. And so if you tried to be sedentary for two weeks and all you ate was tortilla chips and ice cream, you'd feel really crummy and your body would start screaming out for some cucumbers. So <laughs> I just think yeah. that there's, there's, there's a big, that was a big fear of mine was, well, will I ever exercise? And will I ever, will I ever do it for fun? <laughs> will I ever like, <laughs> eat well? Will I actually want that? And the answer has been an, a very loud, um, resonant yes. Yes, because those things feel really good and are good for your body. And I hope that people are not getting from this, that intuitive eating is about abandoning all self-control and not caring about what you put in your body, because that's not it at all. It's, about being more, you still are discerning about the things that you put in your in your body. You know, principle number 10, the very last principle of um, intuitive eating is gentle nutrition. And the reason it's the last one is because you're likely, if you're in need of a book like that, if you're in need of intuitive eating, it's because you've already incorporated all these nutrition rules and guidelines, whatever you call them. And in order to really truly have freedom around food, of course, you can come back to you can come back to some of those nutritional principles later when you're in a healthier place. But it's about un, it's an untangling and then just separation. It's about a lot of things, but it's about a separation of of food and your relationship with it from your core identity. And that's such a journey worth taking, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask what the most unexpected thing about becoming an intuitive eater has been for you. And I think I gave mine, which was just that I actually like really enjoy exercising and I eat well. So what has been the most surprising thing about you, uh, about intuitive eating for you? 
Um, well, if I can be really real, I so I don't weigh myself because um, it's triggering. <laughs> but I and typically when I go to the doctor, I you know I, I tell them you know I'm recovered from an eating disorder, so please don't tell me how much I weigh. Like when the nurse is weighing me. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> the last doctor visit that I had, my nurse got the memo. My doctor did not, so she brought up my weight in um, our call or not a call, our visit. <laughs> everything is on Zoom, so everything is a call to me now. <laughs> but, um, and I I hesitate to say this because I don't, uh, you can turn anything into a diet. You can turn intuitive eating into a diet if you think, oh, this is how, this is the mechanism I'm going to use to lose weight. That's kind of, that was on the back of my mind when I started intuitive eating. But my point is, it turns out that I actually weigh less than I used to, you know, when I was not intuitive eating. Um, and I, you know, I have a really good support system who I told people immediately when I saw that number or when that number was made um, known to me. Just I have people in my life who are looking out for me and making sure that those little triggers are not going to set me off because I, I need that. Like I need, maybe you're different, but I just need people looking out for me when something like that happens because I could just you know it could turn into oh like I have to maintain that number or I have to get it better or whatever so anyways that surprises me like it surprises I I thought when I started my intuitive eating journey that I was going for sure to be in a bigger body and I was going to be heavier but that's not always the case it might be the case for you but Ultimately, also, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter to me anymore that that number is lower. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's wild. Um, I think I was also surprised. <clears throat> Again, people's experiences are so different. But I was also surprised that, like, I didn't necessarily gain as much weight as I thought I would. Like, I, I again, have not weighed myself in two years. Probably more than that. Um, and, like, it's just... It, it was almost infuriating last year when I realized like it took it takes a while to kind of I think get to a balanced place but it was almost infuriating when I realized that oh so when I eat and when I you know take care of my body and give it what it needs my skin totally cleared up like my body changed but to be honest I think it looks a lot better like I have muscles now that look like like my body just, it's so funny because I remember how hard my trainer and my nutritionist and I worked to try to get like these muscles to like pop in certain ways for these <laughs> swimsuits and now they do. And I'm like, I wonder what the heck the disconnect was between not eating anything and now eating and yeah, and feeling like I've just been so scammed, right? Like, of course, mm -hmm. there's still moments where I'm like, oh, I wish that this looked a little different, but in the overall, I just feel scammed. Like, I just feel like, shoot, I you know, could have been this much happier for this much longer if I had just let go of this expectation I had um, on my body. And another great thing is just to think about like the people that you admire. And if the reason you admire any of those people is because of how they look. Um, mm -hmm. Because, yeah, that's just, um, I just don't think that's the legacy also that like I want to leave. Like every once in a while, I live by a cemetery and so I'll go walk through it and like, none of those headstones say she was very slim and sculpted <laughs> or uh, she ate X amount of calories every day. Like that's what none of the headstones say. They say things like, like devoted mother, you know, public servant, um, present friend, like loving sister, like just 
those are the actual things that last and that's I would so much rather be known for that than for looking a certain way that's also making me miserable yes that's so good and bringing it back like kind of bringing our faith into this too is God wants us to live a life of number one unity with him but also contribution you know and and when you're so stuck on yourself when you're so stuck on what I look like and what what people think of me and what my body, like what they say about my body and how it looks in my Instagram pics or whatever it is. <laughs> like when you're so stuck on that, you're not living in love. You're not, it's not about contribution. It's not about, um, you know, we're made in God's image and likeness and God is love. Like we're, love is the ultimate end of our lives. And if we truly believe that, then everything we do should really be oriented towards that end achieving that end of love and it's not the most loving thing sorry but it's not to be so fixated on this one tiny part of ourselves that like you said Jane is not lasting it's fleeting so I think it can have a healthy place um you know like I've developed I've regained my interest in health and fitness. And that was a big fear of mine too when I started intuitive eating and when I was in the middle of it was like, am I ever going to be able to, you know, enjoy the gym again? Am I going to be, I love making, I love making these healthy concoctions, like healthy versions of things. Like, am I ever going to return to that? And the answer is yes. And now it's, it's not my whole life. Like that's the difference is it's not an obsession. It's not all consuming and it's better that way. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, yeah, this was so good. All right. Just a couple more questions here. Actually, three questions. I'm keeping you. Um, again, you, you kind of brought this in the last question, but what do you think the secular world gets wrong about body image? Yes, I love that question. I wrote it. <laughs> a good one. Sorry, a little flex. Well... <laughs> It's really hard. Sorry, side note. It's really hard to be on a podcast with you, Jane, because it's like, I just want to, you know, like, we're just, it's hard when you're on a podcast I, with gone, your friend. We've gone all over the place. And I, I know like, I it's really hard to stay focused. Oh, please. Oh my <laughs> if gosh. If you're still listening, good for you. God <laughs> we're bless so you. <laughs> Leave us a comment. Okay. What does the secular world get wrong about body image? Okay. Well, I see kind of two extremes out there. And I've kind of already touched on one of them, which is one end of the spectrum is there's this misconception that um, intuitive eating, for instance, or not uh, dieting means abandoning all self-control and living this gluttonous lifestyle where we give into every desire that we have without thinking twice about it, um, which we've already kind of established is not true. But the other, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I do see this kind of new wave feminist movement kind of appropriating not appropriating but owning or encompassing the body positive movement um and i don't know why i attach this to feminism really but i see a lot of people associated with feminism who are promoting a body positive movement that kind of where that denies science that denies the reality that you know how you treat your body does matter <laughs> um yeah, I don't think I don't think that it's it behooves anyone to 
tell them when their obesity or their, you know, extremely high weight is a threat to their health and well-being. I don't think it is a good thing to tell that person that their obesity is actually positive, like it's a positive thing. So I kind of, I mean, that's, that is not to say, however, that someone who is obese or who is in a larger body is any less worthy of our love and acceptance. I think I'm all on board with all of that. I just think that there's some, there's some things I just straight up don't agree with because they don't seem factual. Like, yes, your, your weight does, if it's on a, the very high end of the spectrum, does have a consequence for your health. It does. And some people will try and say that that's not true, but I mean, look at the science, baby. <laughs> um, so it's all, it's like I said from the beginning, this is a very nuanced conversation. And I don't think that we can say it's, we, we try to make it black and white. I don't think that we can do that. I think that there's a lot of gray. Um, I think that's, that's the gist of how I feel about the secular world's view of body image. And it's not just the secular world now that I think about it. Yeah, I think it's a lot of the world. And I mean, I agree with you that there's a lot of nuance, but I also think that very clearly black and white is the question of, are you loving your neighbor as yourself? And if you're not loving yourself and if you're not caring for your body, like the story I told about the wedding earlier, right? I wasn't loving myself well and I was really not loving you all well. Like I didn't even know you were having such nasty thoughts about me. I know. <laughs> that's why I kept them from you until you had already invested more years in my friendship. So <laughs> the opportunity sunk cost is gone. You you have to stick around now. But like I forgive you because I know you were being brainwashed by your hungry brain. <laughs> thank you. My hungry brain was just I'm sorry to anyone who I hurt in those years. Um, it was it she was, was hangry it was I was so angry um but yeah it really is like there is black and white and it's are you loving people well and are you loving are you loving yourself like the whole idea of self-care right which I think this might be my answer to this little secular question the whole idea of self-care where it's like bubble baths and and wine and I, I totally yeah there's a place for that for sure but my version of self-care is I don't remember who told me this it might have been you take the credit if it is but it is like, how would you treat yourself if you were a toddler? So if I have a really hard day and I'm really tired and all I want is a big bowl of ice cream, instead of being like, okay, so I'm going to go get a big bowl of ice cream, I'll pause and be like, okay, Janie, so little baby Jane is not doing good. Like, <laughs> what does she need? Does she need a nap? Does she need some veggies? Does she need a shower? Does she need a run? And that's how I approach like a lot of my self-care is, okay, so would I hand this toddler a bowl of ice cream or would I get this like toddler in the bath and be like, you need to calm down. Like there's, and that's how I approach self-care. Um, and I think that's, that that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> but also I would like to add to your list. Okay. You're saying, does she need a bath? Does she need a run? Does she need veggies? Or does she need ice cream? Like maybe she needs ice cream. <laughs> I thought that's, you were going to say, or does she need Jesus? <laughs> oh, well, if you always yeah, need or Jesus. you can or you can need ice cream or you can eat ice cream. Yeah. And then sometimes taller Jane needs ice cream and that's totes fine. And I'll give mm -hmm. her the ice cream. Um, yeah. But I think that's a place of kind of the self-care misses the mark of like it's the same reason I think diet culture misses the mark because it gives you this one size fits all. Like we didn't even get into all the garbage of like keto and whole 30 and all those things. Right. It's like everyone will benefit from this, even though we are all like unique, beautiful souls in bodies that need different things and crave different mm -hmm. things. Um, 
And I just, yeah, I think that self-care similarly is getting to know yourself. And that was really scary because I didn't know what my hunger cue sounded like. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what I wanted. I couldn't trust myself because for so long I had shut up all those voices because I didn't trust that they would lead me to, to achieve whatever this goal was I had. Um, and so it's getting back in tune with that, which I think also then leads to figuring out which pieces of this self-care work for you. Yes, because like you said earlier, <laughs> this is a very long thread, but like you said earlier, this is not, we kind of said it in a different way, but um, like you're an eating disorder or issues with, with your body and with food is just is not the problem it's the symptom of a problem it's a coping mechanism and so yeah having really good self-care um things to do in your arsenal and also having the lord on your side um are so important so important because we all need you know we're all trying to fill the void you know we've all heard this we're all trying to fill the void and this is, I think, a really common one that we turn to, that a lot of people turn to, is um, the food, mm-hmm. the body. Yeah, because again, it feels like the thing you can control. Like mm-hmm. you can't control that much else around you, but you can control what you put in your mouth, how many hours you spend on the treadmill. Um, yeah, totally. Well, what resources? I know we listed some, so maybe we just kind of can wrap them all back up here at the end. What resources do you recommend to someone interested in learning more? Um, definitely, in case you haven't gotten the gist, Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Rush. Evelyn Triboli has also been on a couple of podcasts. Um, most recently, I heard her on the 10% Happier podcast, so you can go check out that episode. She gives a great overview of intuitive, intuitive eating if you're interested in learning about it more but aren't ready to commit to the book yet. She also has a TED Talk, so Evelyn Triboli. And then also, most recently, also, most recently... Um, I came across, if you like, if you like podcasts, if you're a podcast person, um, then Amy Porterfield, who is the host of online marketing made easy. She just started a separate podcast. That's pretty short, just a few episodes, I think called talking body. Um, so she dives more into body image topics and let's see. Also, I thought there was another thing. Um, Food Psych is a good podcast to go check out. Again, you know, mm-hmm. be discerning about the advice she gives. But I think, you know, she's a registered dietitian and Jane and I both started learning about these things from her. So mm-hmm. she's a good one to follow. Yes. And also the podcast, It's Not About the Food. She's a wonderful, I think she's a psychiatrist who has also dealt with a lot of these issues. She's wonderful. Um there is an article in the New York Times that you might have seen from June of 2019 called Smash the Wellness Industry by Jessica mm-hmm. Knoll. Highly recommend that one. Okay. And um, another thing I just say is, is be discerning. Like, Erica, this just reminded me. Be discerning about what you consume. So I used to follow a ton of fitness people on Instagram who would show, you know, a lot of before and afters and um, – you know, just things that weren't helpful. And if you need to unfollow people or even if you need to mute people who are your friends because, you know, you're feeling like it's it's making you feel like your body is inadequate, like do it. Um, you got to do these things to take care of yourself. Um, so, yeah, I would recommend just kind of being holistic and, yeah, learning a little more about it 
Um, shoot, I had one more thing that just... I know, I had another one too. Oh, I can't, I'm trying to look it up to see. And as I started looking at Smash the Wellness Industry, because I was trying to remember what the article was, then it, the other one came to my mind. Okay. Another phenomenal resource is, if you're a YouTube person, is Abby Sharp on YouTube. She is a, I think, registered dietitian, registered dietitian nutritionist. And she reacts to a lot of YouTubers and their what, what I eat in a day videos. So she gives her a little two cents and she is um, all about the intuitive eating. So you could learn a lot just by watching her. And one more person is Dr. Morgan Francis, who is a, uh, ooh, she's a doctor of some kind. <laughs> she's a, she has her MD. I forget what kind of doctor she is, but she's in Arizona and um, beautiful and has a great just posts often about really good reminders about um, intuitive eating. So yeah, so many resources out there. Just be careful again, like what you're, what you're looking at. I think always checking people's credentials is a good idea, but again, the Holy grail of this is um, intuitive eating. So if that's, if you only have time for one thing, just dive into the book and I um, inhaled it. I reread it every six or seven months when I need a little refresher. So it's a good one. All yes. right. <laughs> this has been a delightful time with you, Erica. Thanks for coming back. We'll, we'll have to have you back again for a three-peat. Um, <laughs> I would be delighted. Topic TBD. Clearly, we can always find something to talk about. <laughs> and if anyone has questions, any of Jane's listeners, if you've made it to this point and you have any questions um, pertaining to this topic that we did not cover or that we just covered randomly in our kind of stream of consciousness here, um, DM Jane... DM the Sunday Monday, DM me at the Erica page. Let us know your questions. Maybe we can address them again. Absolutely. I'll link all of your things and of course your your business um as well. Seedlings Light Shop. She's a web designer and a branding guru. Mostly developer, but also yeah, a copywriter. Um, she does everything <laughs> in case that wasn't clear um how impressive she is. Um I'll I'll link it all. <laughs> Yeah, if you've still made it, I love that. This is like Survivor at this point. Um, and if you're still here, <laughs> um, one last question. You for win a hundred dollars. Just kidding. You don't. I don't have that kind of money. Um, uh, what is working for you right now, Erica? No, I already answered this question in the last podcast. It's been oh. months. There has to be something. New. It's still the same thing, like Harry Potter. Listening to Harry Potter music <laughs> while I'm on my Harry Potter fast. How's that going? Give the give the listeners an update on the Harry Potter fast. Okay, listen. <laughs> <laughs> I have had so many opportunities to break this fast. You know how they say like it's not really you have to whatever. You know, I have been tempted is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> because um I have cable and Harry Potter is always mm. on. Like it is always on some channel and there have been so many times, like moments of weakness, where I've just been like hovering over that channel, being like, I deserve it. But, you know, this is just proof that even when you're an intuitive eater, you still have self-control because I have not watched one second of Harry Potter in the year 2021. Just wait till Thanksgiving, though, because I will not come out of my hole for the rest of the year. <laughs> Oh my gosh. See, this is the issue with intuitive eating if, or if, with dieting is if you refrain from eating something, when you finally get it, you binge on it. So that's <laughs> yeah. a really nice my binge. parallel is your planned binge around Harry Potter. 
All right. Yeah, good. it's totally planned. Very good, very good. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least you know it's coming. Um, what mm-hmm. a delight it is to have you here. Thank you for joining. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Sunday Monday show. If you liked it, if you enjoyed it, if you learned something, we would be so appreciative if you shared it with a friend, shoot it in a text, post it on social media, whatever you want to do. Sharing these episodes helps more people find them. And while you're doing that, if you could rate and review these episodes, that would also be so appreciated. If you're looking for more, you can follow us on Instagram at the Sunday Monday underscore or visit us online at www.thesundaymonday.co where we have tons of articles and free resources designed to help you be bold in your faith, work, and life. Until next time, thanks so much for being here. Get back to work. I love you all. Bye. Erica, we almost forgot that you were going to share what you shared with me this week when I called you um, a little bit down on my body image and you gave me some really good advice. So share your wisdom with the people, please. Well, I think the advice that I gave you, Jane, was that you, you know, you were telling me that you were having a bad body image day and it was frustrating because you knew that if you really tried, you could just, um, you could not eat certain things. You could, um, exercise, you could work really hard and you could get your body to a certain point. And I think I just asked you, okay, so, and then what? Or yeah, like, would that make you happy? I think that's what I asked you. And I I don't know, something about that probably, I think that helped you a little bit because it's like, yeah, okay, well, so then what? Then I'll, will that make my life, my quality of life actually better? Or is this just like, what's, I think it really ties into what is the motivation for my desire to do this? Mm. So yeah, that's some good, just a good gut check. Good question to ask yourself if you're having a bad body image day too. Yeah, good food for thought. Thanks for sharing with us. You're welcome. (laughs) Eat up that food for thought. (laughs) Yum.